Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with flying colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. Today, I'm very excited to have Dan Prezioso, a partner of Olden Lane. Dan, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Mark. Thanks for having me. You got it. And I just noticed it's afternoon. So how are you doing this afternoon? Probably just as well. But yeah, we're glad to we're glad to have you here. And Dan, if you could, for my listeners who might not know about you and Olden Lane, if you could give a little bit of introduction of yourself and what's going on at Olden Lane, and then we can talk hop into the topic of mergers and maybe perhaps a few others. Sure. So at Only, we're in a boutique investment banking practice. And I think what makes us unique is that we're entirely dedicated to credit unions. So we were formed about 2016, some Wall Street veterans that were looking for gaps in certain markets where we thought a small team could have a big impact. And one of our thesis at the time was that credit unions were underserved from a capital market standpoint. And one of the uh, facts that we were observing that kind of generated that thesis was uh, looking at the subordinated debt market among credit unions and how much, uh, how little activity that there was at that time, uh, which made us scratch our head a bit. Uh, of course, credit unions are financial institutions and everyone knows capital is king uh, for financial institutions. And so, to see such a large portion of the industry at that time being low income, uh, having that designation and the ability to raise capital uh, and not doing so uh, gave us a sense that there was an opportunity to serve the industry in a way that would have an impact if we could promote subordinated debt as a tool for strong credit unions. And that's how we really got into the space. Uh, I didn't spend um, my career to that point, working with depository institutions, I was more a transactional attorney uh, in capital markets. But we took on that challenge, and I I've spoke to you on this podcast before about it. Uh, and as when I think most of the market that's heard of us knows, uh, that's done very well for us. Uh, we've been a big part of that market, which has grown uh, tremendously. Um, and things started to slow down after the first quarter of this year in subordinated debt. We had the privilege to work with some of the largest issuers in the market in the beginning of the year, and we brought some, some very notable deals, some nine-figure deals to market in the first quarter. Thankfully, we were able to close the second of those a week after Silicon Valley Bank went down and as Signature Bank was failing as well, which put a lot of tension in the market for subordinated debt. Nonetheless, it was a strong issue where we were able to close it. But after that event, we really uh, took a step back and thought about the market and what would happen next. I think there was a stillness across the industry at that point. I think we weren't the only ones thinking that way. And what occurred to us, and it's intuitive, uh, is that the market was likely to have a different pattern with respect to consolidation after those events than it did uh, prior to it. Uh, and we started to focus our attention more on M&A. It had always been a piece of our practice because so many of our sub-debt issuers were using 
subordinated debt to support M&A strategies. So we were frequently discussing those strategies, analyzing them from a financial standpoint, from a capital impact standpoint. But we really looked at the market and we saw another unique feature of the credit union market, which is that the deal making is very challenging relative to other industries. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Being cooperatives, you don't have that singular variable of price to align the interests of all the stakeholders around. There's something about price in other industries that it just, you can make everyone happy with the right price. And we don't have that variable with credit unions. And so we have different stakeholders uh, with uh, alignment, but also some disparate interests. And all of them have to be addressed in what is a more complex deal. Over time, we've seen credit unions consolidate a little more slowly. And based on the conditions that we see now, we think it's important for the industry, as well as individual credit unions, to really focus on M&A strategies and doing it well, because this market's going to consolidate for factors that, that, that we can talk about. Very good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I will put in the show notes a link and a reference to the previous podcast we did on subordinated debt. That's an interesting uh, having been at NCUA as long as I was, it seemed every year there, there were 300 to 400 mergers, but that was when the the number was bigger, right? And that that number is probably in the twos. I know it, it ebbed and flowed during COVID. It's paused a little bit, but it's definitely, like you said, it's just a, it's a maturation of any industry is going to be consolidation. And I, And ironically, I think if you look at the number of charters over like the last 10 years in banks and credit unions, there's a pretty consistent correlation of the banks going away about the same pace, give or take a few percentage points. But I hadn't really ever thought of it from the, obviously it's cooperative. Uh, You're not selling stock. You're not selling, you're not selling stock and therefore it's not price impacted. And so that does put a different bent on the credit union mergers. It's yes, that's, it's, it's ever present. That's the point. But when you put it in those words, it, it's not something that immediately comes to my mind. So that's a great place to start. So it doesn't tie to, to price. So as you're looking at where the credit union industry is now and credit unions that are looking at where they're at relative to field of membership or where they're at relative to their to their liquidity or their capital, their asset size, their competition, what jumps to your mind relative to the conversations you've been having with credit unions on this whole topic? Sure. I mentioned the Silicon Valley failure, and, and that was really the book with the, the COVID pandemic. And that, that period really, and it's almost cliche to say it now, but it really accelerated things in a way that has created a different era in many respects, especially as it relates to the competitiveness of banks. And factors that we've seen really emerge since the beginning of the pandemic include actually deposit competition. And during the pandemic, no one really realized it because everyone was inundated with deposits, but everyone realizes it now. And if you think back to before the pandemic, deposit competition was a big discussion liquidity was top of mind at the NCUA. I remember the end of 2019, even the beginning of 2020, we were having a lot of conversations across the industry with clients with the NCUA about deposits and liquidity sources and making sure you were diversified 
and you were managing those risks because everyone felt the deposit competition, especially from fintechs. And the pandemic policies made those considerations appear to go away for a time, but in fact, they were accelerating. And we feel it now, especially as monetary policy has tightened. There's extreme deposit competition. We're seeing deposits shrink across the industry. So we have that factor. <clears throat> In respect to liquidity, we just got potential uh, word of another challenge in the regulatory response to SVB, uh, which is the bank regulators are discussing tightening some parameters around FHLB lending. So liquidity is getting much tighter between deposit competition, tighter monetary policy, and now the regulatory responses to recent events. That competitive pressure is going to force institutions to seek more scale. Uh, the other thing that shifted rapidly is consumer appetite with respect to remote banking capabilities, uh, technological capabilities, and service. And that was something that was there uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, but of course, the pandemic really accelerated the adoption of those technologies so that folks that probably would have desired to never have to navigate remote banking or new technologies found uh, because of social distancing that they had no choice and they went through that process and now they're consumers that expect it and so from a technology and a service standpoint we've seen the consumer really start to demand more from financial institutions. And of course, that is going to cause more credit unions to search for scale. It's interesting too. So I'm presuming the, the reference to the Federal Home Loan Bank is their 100-year report or their study that came out last week. Is that what you're tying the, the challenges of the Federal Home Loan Bank kind of revisiting their purpose? Yes, exactly. There is, I think some academics notice that some of the banks are having difficulty and ultimately failed in the recent period, drew heavily on FHLB lines. And there's some, and I, I don't necessarily agree with this, but there's some notion that there may be some cause and effect there, or maybe the FHLB lines enabled liquidity policies that should have been addressed earlier at those institutions. And so, I think examiners, uh, regulators are going to react to some of that critique, it seems. There's some suggestion of that. And so I think the regulatory response to recent events is definitely going to be a, a consolidating factor, as well as the earnings pressure due yep. to the tight monetary policy. Of course, we've got a lot of margin compression. Uh, on the topic of regulatory response, we've been through a period of very low non-interest income, very difficult gain on sale on assets is, is hard to come by. First mortgage originations are down, mortgage sales are down, uh, inter interchange income has been down, fee income has been down, and uh, the NCOA is focused on overdraft fees as well. And they're going to be looking at consumer compliance and fees. 
So non-interest income sources are under pressure. So when you look for profitability and how to improve it, the only real obvious avenue in these conditions is profitability gains through efficiency. Right. And to generate efficiency, generally you need to invest in technologies that help you become more efficient, or you have to gain economies of scale through growth. Now, organic growth, because of the tight monetary conditions, is very expensive. So the obvious way to achieve economies of scale is by finding partners and forming combined institutions with them that have more scale and can generate more efficiency and be more profitable. Now, that all makes sense. On the technology side and electronic payments, NCUA is adding specialists and electronic payment systems. It's something they added last year. I was listening to a podcast, a Bloomberg podcast, where they had the head of the OCC, and they were talking about the voluminous letter to banks that came out on third-party due diligence. And it is a lot of that is linked to the technology side of things and the fact that institutions are having to use so many different third parties for different things that the institution used to do. And then you place yourself as a pick a number, $100 million credit union, $150 million credit union, $250 million credit union, 500, pick a number where you're trying to do what you said that the members want, right? They want to have these services and they want it to be done well. And on the other side, you've got the regulator who wants it to be done safe and sound and is spending more of their resources to make sure that you do it safe and sound. Meanwhile, oh yeah, it's hard to make money on fees and it's hard to get liquidity dollars in and you need to really be efficient either by technology or reducing your costs. Meanwhile, costs and everything are going up. So it's a challenging time. Absolutely, absolutely. And what we see is that credit unions that have more scales, they get more scale, they're able to offer more of those electronic services. They're able to hire teams to help implement them uh, if they're outsourcing to do that diligence uh, more rigorously or to do more of it internally. And so you can look at the data and, and the NCOA does a good job collecting data on electronic services as well as some other member services. And if you stratify the industry by who's by asset level, who's offering those services most frequently, it's the credit unions with most scale. And so being able to offer a wider variety of services and more of the cutting edge technologies, it translates into better relationships with members, which makes it easier to retain deposits as well. If you look at share of wallets, the credit unions with more scale that are able to to get larger share, higher average share balances, higher average loan balances, because they're able to interact with their members across more products and services. They have more sophisticated technology to inform communications. This is an era where attention spans are shorter. That's another thing that accelerated, I think, during the pandemic. Folks are you know, getting their information through social media, through the internet, and algorithms are feeding that information to the consumer. And you have to have strong technology to communicate in a way that's relevant, that the algorithms identify is relevant. And you have to understand the algorithms themselves and, and play uh, 
in that space and understand how communication is getting to the eyes and ears of the members. And, you know, it takes people uh, that are trained well, and it takes technology often to accomplish that. And credit unions with more scale are able to do that. No, there, you know, definitely, definitely the economies of scale issue has been there always, but it just seems to be ramping up as far as what I've been seeing with my clients, what I saw over my career with NCUA, what I'm seeing with NCUA being nervous about the economy. Whenever NCUA's chairman speaks, and I think he's testifying this week and they're doing their budget briefing this week. So there's going to be a lot of news coming out from the NCUA side where they're talking about the, oh, by the way, here's the risks we're worried about. And whenever they utter that, that means the examiners are going to be looking at it when they come into these institutions that are that are having to make these decisions about what's in the best interest of the member, what's in the best interest. There's the member, which is what it's all about. There's the board, there's the staff, there's preserving. A lot of times you find you find that it's been a CEO who's been there a long time and they are looking at the fact that they wanted to retire. They wanted to retire during the pandemic, but they didn't want to retire during the pandemic because they didn't want to leave the credit union in a lurch, right? And so now here they are, the pandemic goes away, they they they, they get some deposits coming in, and then Silicon Valley Bank hits, and then you get the third the, the third black swan of the events, which is the the rates going up um, from the Federal Reserve. And and every time they think they can get out, uh, they, they decide they got to stay in for a few more months to best position the credit union. So now here they are and they're going, OK, and now technology is staring them in the face and tight budget budgets are staring them in the face. So uh, I, I think there are going to be a lot of institutions where they're looking at those stuff and going, hey, who's the heir apparent? Now, NCUA has guidance out there on succession planning, but you know it's easy to say succession planning and who's going to do it, as opposed to what's the reality of actually being able to do it because of all the challenges that are out there facing this, particularly the smaller institutions, but the midsize as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you hit on really the the final factor that, that we think is going to drive a period of very active consolidation, and that, that is the retirement of aging leadership. And that's another thing that, that COVID accelerated, is the great retirement. And we see it across the labor market. We're in a very tight labor market. And these conditions are such that it's not going to be as fun to lead these institutions. And so we're going to see more retirements. It's going to put pressure on the succession plans that are in place. Um, and more credit unions are going to use those opportunities to look for merger partners. And really, it's the perfect time uh, because, as we said, with credit union mergers, a lot has to align. Uh, there are all those stakeholders that you just member, uh, mentioned, um, management, board, and of course, the members and the employees, Paramount, but really all four of them independently have to be aligned. Uh, whereas in other industries, you can use price to get everyone to the table. You don't have that factor here. You almost have to establish value and present value to all four of those stakeholders uh, independently and then relate them all to each other. So it's a little more of a complicated deal-making exercise, uh, but it's one that we think that the it's important that the industry do and do well because 
some of your audience is probably listening to this and, and find the conversation rather provocative. I think mergers have always been a provocative topic among credit unions because we all appreciate the importance of small banking, of, of, of the small bank segment, and we all want to preserve it and bristle at the notion that bigger is better. And I'm coming from a small firm myself. Alton Lane is a small firm. So I can promise your audience that I appreciate uh, a great deal uh, the ability of a very focused uh, small business or institution to serve its clients in a way that's higher touch and and gives a better experience than a larger firm. Uh, but the goal of this industry should be not to avoid consolidation because as we look at the situation, it can't be avoided. It's going to happen. These factors are too acute to resist. Uh, but to accomplish the consolidation in a way that preserves what's best about the credit union industry and preserves those values. And in order to do that, you have to be strategic and proactive in this type of marketplace to make sure that you're seeking the best partnerships that are going to value your institution, what it stands for and what it's trying to accomplish. And you're negotiating them shrewdly. And Sitting back is not going to is not going to work. I think for preserving those values, uh, and and for translating those values to a new generation, we know what the next generation wants. They're very clear about it. They want capabilities that it's hard to deliver effectively without scale. Uh, so we have to find more scale in this industry, but we have to find it in a way that preserves everything that's special about it. And the only way to do that is be very strategic about what we're doing. Now, that, that's very well said. You said a, a couple of things. You don't want to sit back. You want to be, you want to have some level of self-determination on what's going to happen two years, five years, 10 years down the road for the members, for you, for the board and all those players you just mentioned. And it reminds me a little bit of my time at NCUA. A lot of times, Credit unions, I'd go to league functions and the credit unions would come up to me and say, hey, all these mergers happen and no one, NCUA never calls me and asks me about them. And I have to tell them most of the mergers NCUA doesn't know about until the actual package comes in and a phone call is made saying, hey, we ABC has decided to merge with XYZ. Now, XYZ may have had an exam that triggered them to go, you know what? This is just, a, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. So NCUA may have potentially impacted the fact that the credit union decided to merge. And so what we would always say is self-determination. Part of the reasons credit unions sometimes want to have their own board and want to maintain their autonomy was self-determination of everything that they would do. But at some juncture, you need to be strategic. You need to look at, okay, what does it mean five years from now? And if I know five years from now that... I'm going to have more difficulty on these seven things, and I can't even offer these other four things. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe self-determination is deciding um, what type of strategic merger might make sense. Once you decide that point and then fully vetting that, so it's not just, a, hey, you know, I met this guy at the league meeting and he said his board would be interested in me, and you don't weigh you don't evaluate the options that might be out there that would best serve all those players. 
That's that's precisely right. Uh, you you definitely want to enter into M&A transactions and negotiations at a point where you're valued and you have some leverage in the marketplace. Historically, credit union mergers, a lot of times, they happen during an inflection point where a credit union has struggled for competitiveness and it's starting to impact their financials, their ability to succeed leadership, and they turn to mergers at that point. And I think there's a stigma with respect to some mergers that emerging credit union has failed. Um, and I've heard that. And that's not necessarily the case. A good deal is not a failure if you're going out there with objectives that you've already identified and you're accomplishing those objectives and creating a combined institution that's able to offer members more, that's able to give employees uh, better packages and more upward mobility, that's able to do more for your market and your community, that's not a failure. And But to, to accomplish that in a way that your credit union is going to be most comfortable with, you're going to want to have leverage. And right now with the appetite for M&A related growth that exists and is going to, I think, grow in the next several quarters, there's a lot of leverage. Uh, if you're a credit union with good finances, with good relationships in your market, you are a very sought after commodity and you'll have a lot of opportunity to shrewdly negotiate a very compelling partnership. So that's just another reason to be proactive because that's how you get the best deals. That said, when you have leverage is the time to, to make uh those pivotal decisions, but to make those pivotal decisions, you have to have thought it through on the front end. And that's sage advice. So Dan, if is there any questions relative to merger and the things we've been talking about that I didn't ask that I should have asked here uh, today? Yeah, there's just one thing I wanted to point out. I wanted to offer a little analogy. When we think about mergers and acquisitions in other industries, it sometimes might be you might make an analogy to hunting where you identify a target, you aim, and you fire. But the credit union M&A space is different, and I would suggest it's more like farming, where you find a plot of land and a crop that you want to grow that is going to be, that's going to advance your business. And then you seed it, you monitor the field, you water it, and in time, natural conditions will make sprouts. And then you nurture those sprouts. So it's a more time-consuming process, but it's worth doing that work because ultimately you want to be able to look at the consolidation in the bank space where you can go after those single targets but you also want to be seeding a field of M&A possibilities in the credit union space as well and have both of those sources. And they're very different in terms of how you go about them. So think of it that way and really have a system 
when it comes to credit union M&A, because it's not just looking for one target here and there and pouncing if something comes around. To really be successful, and those credit unions that have been successful over time in M&A, they have a system for identifying those targets that would help them and then staying in touch, monitoring, communicating at the right times, communicating persistently over time. And conditions are going to be such that those credit unions in your field will look for mergers at a certain point in time, and you want to be there when that happens. It really helps to have a process when it comes to credit union M&A. Makes perfect sense. I love that analogy. I think that's a good place to to wrap for the day. Dan, if any of my listeners uh, would like to talk to Olden Lane about what you do about mergers and the th- all the things we talked relative to mergers or longer term looking at subordinated debt. What's the best way for a listener to reach out and, and talk to you or someone else at Olden Lane? So you could reach out through our website. We have a info at Olden Lane that will go to all the partners. We also have some white papers on this subject that you can find on the website. We're also very active on LinkedIn, so you can reach out to myself and my partners or the firm on LinkedIn as well. And we post quite frequently, so I suggest following Oldenly on LinkedIn. You got it. You had a great post this morning, 13 charts on the third quarter data. After we get off here, I'm going to go digest some of that. And who knows, maybe I'll steal a slide or two from you for uh, some of my LinkedIn posts. You're welcome to it, Mark. Okay, great. Very good. Thanks, Dan, so much for your time today. I really appreciate you being available uh, to talk about this important uh, credit union issue. Thanks, Mark. Have a good one. You too. And listeners, I want to thank you for listening. As always, I hope you'll listen again soon. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 